Welcome to the Next Level Brands Podcast, where we share stories about the food and CPG world with experts in the trenches about how to build a successful brand today. Now, your host, G. Stephen Clear. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us today on the Next Level Brands Podcast. We're brought to you today by Kitchen to Shelf, the educational arm of Next Level Brands and providers of online and in-person courses and workshops for CPG entrepreneurs at any stage of growth. If you're selling on a regional basis at farmer's markets or just online, and you want to expand your retail distribution, then you should look into the courses and webinars from Kitchen to Shelf. Want to learn more about distributors, co-packers, trade funding? Kitchen to Shelf can help you learn what you need to know to grow. More details at kitchentoshelf.com. That's kitchen, the number two, shelf.com. Hi, this is Steve Clear. With me today on the podcast is Ryan O'Donnell, who is the founder of Solty. And prior to finding, founding Solty, Ryan journeyed down a diverse career path where he honed leadership and entrepreneurial skills. In fact, his intellectual curiosity and ambition led him to launch several of his own companies beginning in early adolescence. But school was always a secondary interest. It did take him seven years to finally graduate from California State University, Long Beach, but he had a bachelor's degree in business administration. He then pursued technology sales where his inherent drive made him a top performer. During his technology sales days, however, Ryan also cultivated a personal obsession with health and well-being. Particularly when he was traveling long hours, he noticed the undeniable impact that good organic food and juice had on his body and mind. And of course, the lack of quality options, especially on the road, coupled with an incessant infiltration of plastic packaging, got Ryan thinking. And it was this time he saw a crucial gap in the market for glass-bottled living beverages, and in 2014, Soul Tea was born. Fast forward to today, Soul Tea is employee-owned, sold to more than 3,000 locations in 25-plus states, operating out of an impressive 15,000-square-foot facility in San Diego, California. Welcome to the show, Ryan O'Donnell. Thanks, Steve. Wow, that's the best intro I've ever had in my life. Thank you so much for having me, Steve. That's awesome. It's, it's, an amazing, it's an amazing story, but you know, one thing that is a very, very similar to actually a number of guests who've appeared on the program, and that is yeah. that the start of the product, the start of your you know, interest in this begins with a personal challenge. You're trying yeah. to solve a problem. So you can talk a little bit more about that and, and what you were doing in tech. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting that a lot of entrepreneurs uh, find themselves solving their own need and then figuring out uh, or it being obvious that a lot of people are looking for the same solution to a problem or, or some gap in the market. Um, and yeah, just when, when I was starting, it, basically I was traveling a lot for uh, enterprise technology company I was working for. And I would go to Dallas-Fort Worth Airport or SFO or... JFK and I'd land and be thirsty as heck and just dying to get out of the airport and looking around on my way to exit the, the security and couldn't find anything. So I'd have to go beeline it to Whole Foods. And, uh, you know, at that point in time, I was like, there's got to be a better option than what's here on the shelf. Why, why aren't people doing it? And I was kind of naive enough to think I could do it better. <laughs> so that's how it started. So did you, um, was, well, first of all, the idea of a beverage and then second of all, did you start cooking stuff up in, in your own apartment or what were you doing? Yeah. I mean, actually before that, before even traveling, um, before the technology gig, I was making smoothies and juice in my house and became sort of personally obsessed with it. 
and then started making a bunch of different recipes of juice and then tea came into the mix and then like tonics and elixirs and superfoods came into the mix. This is before I started the company. I was playing with all this stuff, right. just seeing what made me feel good and what tasted okay. Oh my God, Steve, you just reminded me. I went through this phase where I was making nothing but vegetable purees for like <laughs> six months. It was the worst thing ever. It was like tomato and cauliflower and lettuce mm. and chard in a blender with no sweetener. It was horrible. I thought it was good for me. I mean, I guess it might have been good to me to some extent, but definitely didn't taste good. <laughs> for, for sure. I, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's funny. There was um, one of guests I had on last year. He is a curator of a thing called the Ladidi Berry. And he, it, it's, a, it's a, I believe, Ghana native Ghana, but they grow it now in, in Florida. And his whole purpose was, is he had this friend chef who would make these veggie smoothies, but he mm -hmm. goes, I know they were good for me, but I couldn't get them down. He goes, uh -huh. and they were sour. I mean, you sit to the point of bitter, you know, right? And apparently the Ladidi berry just changes all that without any inherent sugar changes. So it, wow. it really, yeah, it's really, really cool. Um, Interesting. It's, it it's, reminds me of this thing called a miracle berry. Have you heard of that? It, that's what they call it in Costa Rica anyway. Okay, well, maybe from the same family. The, the, the miracle berry, if you take something sour and you have a miracle berry, it all of a sudden makes it sweet. It's that, really a trip. That's exactly what this is. I bet for they're huh. from the same family. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, because they, cool. they have to grow tropically, obviously, mm -hmm. or at least semi-tropically. Yeah, but this was this thing of sweetness and we're, you know, we're all chasing, you know, whatever, monk fruit and stevia and whatever else. And here's this little tiny berry that's just like, if you could mass produce it, <laughs> it just mm -hmm. it does it for you, you know, but figure it mm -hmm. out. So, so, uh, you were obviously onto this beforehand and you were still at this point working in tech and doing stuff. And when did you finally figure out you were done with that? Yeah. I mean, I had a great run in tech. I was in my early to mid twenties and, uh, I was very focused on work, very interested in how companies grew to 50 million in revenue or so. I had, I had started and floundered and just had fun with some companies from age 15 to 20 or so. Um, got one up to a million dollars a year in revenue, but still didn't make it. Um, and then it was, was at this tech company and it was a really good experience because um, they were doing like 15 to 20 million when I started and doing 30 to 35 when I, when I was done there and I was part of a small team of 30 people or so grew, I think we grew to 50 or, or so by the end. And I got to look at the P and L and balance sheet and, um, got to see how the organizational structure worked and, uh, and then I started figuring out this isn't so hard. Like the guy running the company uh, at the time uh, wasn't doing anything monumental. Uh, and I was <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I, I actually thought the company could have been a half a billion dollar enterprise because uh, we had this sweet product. We were, we were selling cloud infrastructure services like Amazon Web Services, but way before Amazon Web Services. Oh, and right. I thought it could have been a huge, huge company. Um, and it just kind of stayed, I mean, it grew, but nothing, nothing like tech companies can grow. And so I, I thought it was a great experience. And I was like, well, I'm ready to, I'm ready to uh, figure out if I can, if 
I can give this another go with that experience and, and build something great. And in coming from that, I mean, this is one of the things with um, folks who come from tech into food and beverage. It's, it, you can scale, but it's a decidedly different type of scale. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's physical. It's, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of, a lot of moving parts. So um, you want, you wanted a beverage, you wanted something organic, you wanted something good, whatever. How did you come up with salty or did salty evolve from something else to salty? Yeah, actually when I, when I, when I transitioned from that company and went out on my own, I started a mobile app. And the mobile app was to find health food and juice and smoothie bars and to order from the mobile app and to uh, pay for it on the mobile app. And then you arrive and the, ready's, and the order's ready to go so you don't have to wait in line or it could get delivered okay. to you. Yeah. And this is in 2013. And uh, right then, uh, Grubhub was getting ready to IPO. And there was this company in LA called Chow Now that had tens of millions in funding. And they, they just started competing heavily against each other. Of course, my little startup had like no, like two, three people working with me <laughs> um, and no funding. Like I was bootstrapping it. And they had, they slashed their pricing model. One of them went to $99 a month, all inclusive. And the other one lowered the percentage and my revenue model got crushed. I think I had like 10 or 20 restaurants that were signed up on a beta. And I was like, this is not, I, I can't compete with these guys unless I raise a bunch of money. And I'd never raised money uh, to that degree. So I folded it up and that's, uh, and I was passionate yeah. about juice and, and tonics and teas and shots and liquid in the bottle. That's what I was drinking all day, all my own stuff. So really that's what I wanted to do. Um, so I took that, folded it up and bought a juicer uh, I bought a used juicer, commercial juicer out of Las Vegas from Good Nature Equipment. <laughs> it was uh, $17,500 and I bought it with credit cards and um, I took it to a rental kitchen by the hour and I started making batches of juice and selling it uh, door to door and at a yoga studio. Uh, ah, okay. And, and Literally, the, the mobile app I was working on for like nine months or eight months or something and had like a couple hundred dollars a month in revenue from some beta testers. And the juice that I was making in a bottle, like basically farmer's market style, did I think $17,000 in our first month. Wow. Okay. I was like, okay. At okay. least, I mean, Maybe. we lost money. Like every bottle we sold, we lost money, but still money... The, the revenue is there if I could figure out the cost later. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We, you know, we'll, we'll, yeah, we're losing money on every bottle we sell, but we'll, we'll make it up on volume, right? That's how that works. Someday. <laughs> yeah, someday. Right. Right. Awesome. And, and that, you know, and that gets us to the, uh, you know, gets us to the next, the next uh, iteration. So you, when you were working on it in the beginning, Ryan, did you, were you thinking about scaling already or were you kind of, Hey, this is kind of cool, but I'm going to see where it goes. Well, um, actually in 2011 or 12, I wrote a business plan for a brick and mortar juice bar. Um, and was working with a friend 
and uh, started a juice bar. Um, I had like very little involvement because I was working full time at the tech company and was doing well there and didn't really want to take my energy and, and focus and focus on something else. Right. Uh, and so my friend started this juice bar that I ideated with him and did the financial model and uh, pricing and menu and all that. Um, and he started it and I was studying the market pretty heavily. There was this juice bar in Southern California called Nectar that had kind of taken off. Uh, press juicery wasn't really out there yet. Okay. Uh, but they, they had started, but they weren't like prolific. Um, and I, I started to think, okay, this, the, each one of these juice bars could do half a million to a million in revenue. You could probably do 50 of them in a five-year period. You might have to do franchise model. So I was already thinking that, you know, somehow get it to 50 million plus in revenue. And then went back. I, I stopped working on that project, went back to tech, did the mobile app. That failed. And then I was like, okay, wholesale juice is actually where it's at. Because I can get to all of these retailers uh, without having a brick and mortar overhead. Right. And I can scale it up faster. And I could uh, have a differentiator in glass. So, I mean, as crazy as it sounds, I was like way ambitious in the beginning, naive ambitious. I was like, okay, how can we get it to a hundred million in revenue as fast as possible? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So it was, yeah, super naive ambition. Um, But the plan was to build it as fast as possible. Um, semi-sustainably. I I also was way out of my comfort zone in the beginning um, because I hadn't raised capital. I had sold a lot of things in my life and started some businesses, um, but nothing that I had like full ownership of that I I was actually, the the scariest thing is I was all in, Steve. Like (laughs) my entire net worth, including $80,000 in credit card debt was on the line. Like I, I took, I had impeccable credit and I took out $80,000 in credit cards. I just ran across a photo like two or three weeks ago of all the credit cards laid down on the desk. <laughs> I put them in a binder and I had, a, I had a track, I tracked them by the limit and they were 0% interest credit cards. And when I hit the limit on one, I tried to do a balance transfer on it. And so I was probably out of my comfort zone cause I was, I was in pretty deep. <laughs> Um, yes. Yeah. I've been there, done that. <laughs> yeah. And I was actually listening to a podcast at the time called entrepreneur on fire. And he was interviewing some entrepreneurs and that was giving me a lot of uh, peace of mind. I would go like for a bike ride at night or a walk. And like basically after that, like before that wanted to crawl in bed and die because I had such a bad day where I got my ass kicked and then uh, would listen to that podcast to get a little bit of uh, uh, motivation and, and uh, confidence, go to sleep, wake up the next day and do it again. And Jesus, man, I can't believe I did. Those are really hard days. Those are really, really hard days. And did you, um, uh, did you start on a local basis in, in, uh, down in, in Southern California or how did you, yeah, did you manage yeah, the I distribution? Had, I had a crazy friend that had a yoga studio and I think he had one going on two at the time and then two turned into three and he said, Hey, I'll let you sell your product here. And that was the first 
outlet that I sold at. And really, after the first week, I then, uh, I, the, the launch was a success. We did like $1,000 in revenue on night one at a yoga studio. I knew a lot of people there as friends and family and community. Sure. Um, and they were excited that I was starting something uh, and supportive. So we, we sold like 100 bottles of product or 100 and something bottles of product. And some of the people that bought the product owned little restaurants and owned little boutique stores in Costa Mesa and Newport Beach. And so like two weeks later, I think I had five or seven of those places stocked with 20, 30 bottles. And then two weeks after that, I was doing some home deliveries. Um, and I set up a little Shopify website at night. Um, and then I think three months in, we were up to like 35 locations. And I was driving it around in the back of my car in a nice chest and delivering it every day. So it, it kind of like, it, once 20 or 30 stores were carrying it, which was pretty quickly, um, I was, I was stuck. I had take, uh, I hadn't taken any money at the time, but I had the credit card debt. Um, and I was dealing with five day shelf life products. So all of these retailers would order every week, no matter what. So I, it was like a rat race all over again. Uh, and I couldn't get, I couldn't get off the wheel. And it was crazy. And production wise, are you doing this like in your garage or how are you actually making the stuff? I wish, I, I wish, but the health department wouldn't let me. So I rented this kitchen called, um, it was in Costa Mesa. I think the name was um, The Hood Kitchen. And it was a super clean uh, rental kitchen. Right. I think this millionaire woman started it. Uh, and she bought all the latest equipment. It was like spotless. And so I could take photos in there and it looked legit. It looked like we were making product in a really legit facility. Um, nobody really knew I was renting it by the hour from 8 PM to 1 AM. Cause all that's all I could afford. But, but, uh, yeah, I was making it in that kitchen. And I think there was a cold brew coffee guy making some stuff. There was a protein bar guy. There was a vegan burrito guy and they were, we were all sharing this kitchen by the hour. It, it does get you disciplined in your production though, if, if nothing else. Yeah. 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 I mean, you, you got to clean up or you'll get kicked out. Like there's a lot of rules in those kitchens. You got to have your logs. The health department does come. Yeah. Now, it, it, just in case for, for folks who don't know, by the way, when, when I, I realize when I say soul tea, people are thinking like S O U L T E A, but it's actually S O L T I. Can you tell us what that means, Ryan? Yeah, salty means of the sun or you are the sun. And since all the produce or tea or superfoods in our products come from the sun and we use UV light filtration as our sterilization step, we thought, you know, something with a sun theme was fitting. And how many flavors? What's in it? Tell us a little bit more about that. Um, today we have three bona fide product lines. Uh, we have the super aid line. That's our registered trademark super aid. It's a low sugar functional lemonade with superfoods added. We have our super shot line. Um, that's an immunity shot line, glass bottled 2.2 ounces. We have a ginger shot, a turmeric shot, an immunity shot, an energy shot. Ooh. 
that line's catching fire across the country. That line's really, really surprising us with the velocity. Um, and we have a hemp plus tea line that's also registered trademark. Can't believe it. It registered like two months ago. Hemp plus is a registered wow. registered mark. Um, and that is a, that's a three different varieties of tea with uh, hemp seed oil added for omega-3 and 6. Uh, that is bound to have hemp extract added to it uh, when FDA allows hemp extract to be added to food and beverage legally. Right. Uh, the big challenge, yes. And distribution now, Ryan, what's, what stores and stuff you and people are looking for at Cross Country? Plus T, Super Shot, and Super Aid. Between those, Steve, there's probably like 25 or 30 flavors. Got it. Okay. And, and where available, Ryan? Um, available in about 25 states, uh, typically the Sunshine States. Uh, the Sun Belt um, and the Coast. Uh, it's available at Publix, Whole Foods, Target, uh, select Walmart locations, all the change on, on the West Coast. So that's Bristol Farms, Gelson's, Lassen's, Lazy Acres, right. Molly Stones, all the way up the coast. Um, yeah, those are the primary retailers. Bunch of bodegas in New York. I mean, the, with the COVID, <laughs> with this, what, what's been going on, probably not as much distribution in the mom and pops but hopefully we'll get back in there soon and those guys will be able to, to open up somewhat. So let, let's go back for a minute to you're in about 30 stores, uh, SoCal, whatever. What was your sort of big jump or your first really, you know, large account that you tackled? I mean, the biggest, the, the, the coolest thing that I thought happened in the first couple of years was Mother's Market. It's a tiny chain. It's only seven locations, but yep. it's really well known in Orange County. Yep. And the founding team of Mother's Market is like OG natural foodies. And they, they're known throughout the country. Um, and that was a seven store chain. And that was the first grocery store, quote unquote, that we were on the shelf. And I thought that was freaking awesome because that opened the door for Shortly thereafter, Lassen's let us in 20 stores, Bristol yeah. Farms, and Pavilions. In fact, the first, yeah, the first chains we were in were Bristol, Gelson's, Lassen's, Mother's, Pavilions. Great. great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's awesome. Got kicked off the shelf of one of them or two of them, you know, for, for low velocity because we were overpriced, um, but fixed it. You know, $9.99 doesn't work in some Gelson's and Bristol Farms. but. No you know, four ninety nine does for sure. Um, we talk a lot of times about in building the business, um, there's gaps. And I like to talk to clients and students about the gap between you're buying $5 or excuse me, five gallon pails of stuff, but your next break, your next, next movement that could reduce your cost of goods is the 55 gallon drum, right? Yeah, for sure. That right. gap. How did, yeah. how, did, how did you bridge that gap and how did you obviously ramp production to match your distribution? Well, I would meet with our suppliers and I would show them our business plan and I would say, I, I need the pricing 12 months from now today. I need the volume pricing of 12 months from now today and, we'll, and I'm, I'm looking for trusted partners that I can work with for the long term. and 
if you give me that pricing today for 12 months from now as volume, we'll build a great relationship together. And I had a lot of partners that, that, uh, that honored that. And one of them was, um, um, just got acquired by Charlie's produce was better life organics out of Los Angeles. Um, the owner, the owner bill super helped me out. Um, another one was glass, man. When we were buying, I bought half pallets at a time in the beginning. That was just a killer, literally a dollar and 10 cents for one glass box. It was just insane. And then I went to pallets and I think we got it to like 75 cents a bottle. And then we went to like six pallets and it was like 54 cents a bottle. Then finally, when we were able to buy a container, a glass at a time, Man, that was a huge, huge deal. I mean, because we got the glass down to less than 50 cents a unit. So, and now the glasses, we're, we literally buy 1 million bottles at a time, um, which is four containers, and we buy them like, you know, every other month. That, that reduces the cogs for sure. For sure. Um, so, so rolling along, you're, you got great distribution in Southern California and whatever else. And then, um, and people may not be aware, we, we didn't hit on it in the beginning but how does costa rica come into this whole story man costa rica is a really really weird story i guess it's 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 weird how i ended up here um it's unique how i ended up here i didn't intend on ending up here so early in my life actually what happened was when I started the company, I had made a good chunk of change at that tech company. And I took, I, I had 240 grand saved. And I took 80,000 or 65 to 80,000. And I bought this farm in Costa Rica that was just a vacant overgrown farm. And I took the rest of the money and I put it all into the company, 100% of it. I mean, there were literally weeks where I was looking at the bank account between personal assets and company assets. And we were down to like $7,000 from 240. And, and so it went fast, but I bought this farm in Costa Rica thinking if I went broke and went bankrupt, I could go, I was single at the time. I could go live in Costa Rica and put a tent on the farm and eat bananas. And that was (laughs) my legitimate plan B legitimate plan B. Plan I voiced it, voiced it to my, my parents and everyone knew it was like, you're, I was going all in. I was going seven days a week as hard as I could, knowing there was a high risk of failure. My parents and aunt and uncle, did they ever ask if they could invest? They did later on. In the beginning, I wouldn't even approach them because they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm starting this beverage company and could be worth a lot of money one day, but it's highly likely that it's going to fail. Um, but I'm giving it a go. And anytime a friend or family member approached me about investing, I said no, because I was most likely going to lose their money. And then I started getting comfortable with like CPAs and lawyers and high net worth individuals that could write $25,000 checks and not mean the end of the world if they lost it. And so that was like a, rendition of capital raising like in the early stages but in the beginning I didn't take any friends or family money um and I bought the farm in Costa Rica as a plan b fast forward to 2017 I had raised quite a bit of capital we built a nice facility I was still majority shareholder 
went through a pretty ugly hostile takeover event, uh, sold the majority ownership of the company, um, moved to Costa Rica and started my life down here, started developing some land. And then six months later, less than six months later, uh, had an opportunity to buy the company back. So much more complex story than I'm (laughs) paraphrasing right now. I bought the company back, flew back to California, started running it again, got the management team back up and running. Uh, The company was basically on life support. It was, it was dead on arrival Um, and got it back going and then went back and forth between Costa Rica and here. And that's how I ended up here so early. Otherwise I would have just stayed in California until uh, Salty was a little more mature. I'm putting in my notes, by the way, to, to do a future show on um on just that whole episode that you just went through um and maybe with a couple of other people that have been through um in it, it, it it's fun it, it's not funny it's ironic that um i actually know a couple of people who have really great products um that are stifled at least up to pre-covid have been stifled because they just won't take any financing they just won't mm-hmm. give up equity. They won't, you know, it's, and, and they've heard all the horror stories and, you know, and, and I go through the, I try to go through the rational process, which is, you know what? I've been in the business 30 years. I have horror stories about everything. I don't care what it is. Yeah. I can tell you why you shouldn't do it. I don't, distributors, co-packers, attorneys, venture capital, don't, you shouldn't do yeah. it. Do everything yourself. But you got to do it. But you got to <laughs> do it because that's the only way to grow. And yeah. You know, and in, in lessons are lessons are are hard learned, you know for sure. And um, I, and, I, and I didn't really mean you got to take money, but you got to sign the distributor deal. You got to sign the retailer deal. You got to get the lawyer. You got yeah. you got to go through some lawyers. You got to find the bad lawyer, the bad CPA, three bad CPAs, a good CPA, an excellent CPA. You just got to take action. And when you take action, you're bound to have problems, right? Right. Things come with the territory. Now, yeah. you know, one of the things, Ryan, which I should ask you about too, is uh, um, um, sales. And, and, and you obviously are a salesman. There's no, no problem there. But mm-hmm. did you kind of begin to outdistance yourself at some point? And then what did you do? Did you look for brokers? Did you hire some independent guys? Did you have a friend? How'd you handle that? Um, I, I, I did it myself for the first 30 to 50 accounts. And then I hired, I bought a little milk truck and uh, <laughs> hired a driver. I, I drove it for my, uh, for a couple weeks and then hired a driver. He shouted me and then I let him loose. He probably shouted me one day. I'm not very good at training, Steve. I just kind of let him loose and see what <laughs> they can do. Um, and, uh, and uh, this guy was like 55 years old. Scott was his name. And uh, he had done some DSD sales. He was like one of those old school CSD sales guys. Like, you know, doesn't take no for an answer. Yep. And great guy, sales, polished sales skills, not polished. However, um, work ethic and trying there. And so he started selling out of the back of the truck as he's making deliveries. Then I hired a like inside salesperson to make some phone calls and ask and send emails. 
And then I hired a couple sales. I hired so many salespeople that didn't work, Steve. It's ridiculous. I, I literally have been through a hundred sales reps. A hundred. Oh dear. I actually, at one point I hired 10 sales reps on the same day and uh, saw what they could do for two weeks. And then I think eight of them didn't make it. You can tell if a sales rep is going to make it so quick, just based on their actions. Like, are they actually going into accounts and talking to people? Are they hitting 10 stops a day? Are they bringing samples? Did they get contacts? And you can track all that through Repsley or whatever. So it's so, it's yeah. so amazing that sales reps just don't, most sales reps just don't want to work. If the people you have on your team actually want to work and are motivated to work, maybe you've tailored the compensation plan so they're motivated to work, man, they can do great. But in the beginning, I went through a bunch of sales reps, uh, went through some brokers, hired some multi-thousand dollar a month brokers that didn't produce. And then I got lucky on a few. Like I hired this, this one, 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 uh, one man show broker out of SoCal. They got like 20 or 30 accounts in a month. Uh, uh -huh. yeah. So, uh, I've kind of gone through the gamut on it now. Luckily, Stephen Cosgrove's our VP of national accounts. He's been with us for what, three, three and a half years. He's got significant equity in the company, both wrote a check and has, has a four year vesting schedule on, on significant value. Um, and then a couple other, couple other incredible sales reps from, you know, one from GT's kombucha that built the ah. PSD network in the West. Yeah, for sure. Uh, another guy from Mama Chia and temple that built the, was a director in the East and built that business up pretty, pretty nicely. Um, so it, it's just, you, you getting better and better talent, the, the better the company gets. And actually that's probably a reflection of upper management, right? I mean, if, if I would have known it all in the beginning and had a ton of experience in beverage, I could have probably just found these guys in the beginning to come join me. But when you're, when you're working it from a grassroots movement, the team right. is kind of only going to be as strong as you are as a leader. Yeah. And you have, you kind of have to sort that out and, and, and work, work through it. You know, it's uh, yeah. yeah. Because it's a tough industry. And a lot of people think, Oh, you know, it's a lot of fun and whatever. And yes, it can be, and it can be very rewarding, but it's one of the toughest businesses I think out there for, you know, going, going at Yeah. It. Yeah, uh, for sure. You ever seen bang energy? Yes. Mm -hmm. Bang just, uh, just did the distribution deal with Pepsi today. At least that's what the press release said. Mm. And, uh, so I just dug into them for 10 minutes today, Jack and all that. I used to follow them quite a bit. The, the, the tenacity that they've, they've, uh, they've instilled in their culture, I, I love that. And I think that's what it takes in the beverage industry. And that's what we had in the beginning. That's, that's what we have today, but at a much smaller scale, of course, that tenacity is what you need because you're going to get a lot of no's. Yeah, exactly. And it's uh... – you know, it's one of those, if you fear rejection, it's not, not the place to, not the place to be for mm -hmm. sure. So, um, w without obviously getting into anything proprietary, um, Ryan, what's, uh, what's, what's next? What are you looking at doing? Um, well, we just launched a couple flavors, uh, one new super aid called blue spirulina super aid. Um, blue spirulina is kind of trending in the right direction. Now we've been aware of it for quite some time, but now we're uh, starting to make a move on it. And then we have a super shot as well called a blue mystic, which has a little more potent of a dose. Um, and that's getting 
good distribution, couple thousand outlets out of the gate. Um, so we're excited about that. That comes in summer. Um, and then in the fall, uh, we're working on a shroom shot line. Um, uh-huh. we're, we're excited about that. That, that has uh, four different mushrooms. We have a lion's mane. Um, the one I'm not as excited about is cordyceps. We're still seeing if that's going to make it, but it's lion's mane, chaga, reishi, and cordyceps. Cordyceps. Um, so, okay. Yeah. So those are kind of, those are our, our focuses for this year. Um, as far as products go and our existing products that have launched recently as well, such as Immuna C super shot is doing incredibly well. Ginger and turmeric shots continue to be top performers. Um, right now in the Southeastern United States, which is basically New York down all the way getting closer to Texas. Uh, we're controlling 43% of the shot market today. So number one in the category, controlling 43% market share. So we're super excited about that. We want to just continue replicating that wherever we can in the U.S. And roll it out. And where can folks find more information about the line and ingredients and news and all that? Um, Yeah, you can go to Solti.com, S-O-L-T-I.com. You can order online there. We have two-day nationwide shipping to your doorstep. Uh, Shipping is free and included. Um, and retailer wise, Publix, Whole Foods, Target, Walmart, and you can go on our store locator on our website and find out a location near you. One of the things, Ryan, that it did particularly unique about what you're doing is this element of glass. And, um, I'm sure that you know, you've got some suggestions along the way that, hey, you know, if you could just put this stuff in PET, you know, you could drop the price, uh, easier uh, production, transportation, you know, good goodness knows. Um, did you get any of that pressure and how did you react to it? Yeah, I think I got that pressure from like 95% of prospect investors and 90% of retailers in the beginning. And then like, it was like I was talking to a brick wall in 2014 and 15 and 16. I would go into a retailer, I would talk about glass, impermeability, purity, taste better, yeah. uh, fresher, better aroma, better flavor, better nutrients. And they would look at me like I was crazy because the price was like $7.99 at that point in time. Uh, and the tables have completely turned. It's unbelievable how timing plays a role in this, Steve. I mean, now we go into a retailer, they're like, yeah, we've, we've heard of you guys, we've seen you guys, we love what you're doing with glass and sustainability. Uh, what's pricing look like, FOB? And it's like, okay, well, that conversation was not there <laughs> three years ago. <laughs> no. So I think a lot of it has to do with market timing, but yes, um, I mean, even PepsiCo and, and us have had discussions and uh, one of their questions was, can you put it in PET? And I was like, no way, we're never putting it in PET. In fact, if we ever have any kind of liquidity event, there's going to be a clause saying the product will never be sold in PET. Like it, it's just not going to happen under my watch. And I think it's going to be under my watch for quite some time because I don't have any pressure. So right. any, any, any investor pressure. Uh, so we get the P, we got the PET question all the time and we never wavered. It just, it was like, it was 
I would rather die than put it in plastic. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's <laughs> definitive. Um, I, I did forget to ask you, Ryan, uh, when we were talking about, about Costa Rica, do you do any production or do you grow anything on the farm down there that goes into Salty? Well, we've done quite a bit of testing. We grew a couple thousand pounds of turmeric and a couple thousand pounds of ginger. Um, we haven't done anything at scale, but we figured out how to grow it and we figured out how to export it and get it to California. It's still not economically viable at a small scale with, with the uh, quantities we need, but right. it's, a, it's an option. Um, the more so the way the companies are connected is that, um, Salty donates 1% of net sales to permaculture planet, a nonprofit arm of permaculture planet, which reforests overgrazed cow pasture here in Costa Rica. Oh, great. There's quite a bit of overgrazed cow pasture that's close to primary rainforest, but it's not in primary rainforest. And so we've been working to plant exotic fruit tree species that bring biodiversity and also an abundance of fruit. Um, and we planted out uh, about 4,000 trees so far, and we're excited about that. So that's kind of more of the tie today than vertically integrated supply chain. Got it. That, and that is awesome. Awesome thing you're doing for sure. Um, well, Ryan, one of the things we do is we always try to put a little pressure on, on, on guests um, because our audience is primary, primarily entrepreneurs like yourself. Um, we, we look to distill down like one word or one phrase or one sort of topic area of advice that based on your experience in building Solty that you would want fellow entrepreneurs to remember. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, we kind of touched on it earlier. I think it's um, tenacity and not giving up and realizing that it's a long-term game. Um, like I said earlier, when I started and it was like, I thought I was naive to how large the company could grow in a short amount of time. Um, but that's okay. And I think having that ambition is a good thing when you're starting a company. And I think that tenacity and realizing that it's a long-term game and not a short-term game uh, is really going to help the entrepreneur. It helps the entrepreneur to understand that. In the beginning, I thought it was a three-year sprint and done. But the reality is it's not, Steve. It's like a 10-year game minimum to, to actually affect change and to get a brand out there to become a household name. We're not a household name yet. We're getting some good recognition, but we're not household. That takes like 10 years. Even if you got a lot of money behind it, it takes seven. Right. Yeah. No, no. It, it, absolutely. And you, you will get within food and beverage, you get trends and you get stuff that kind of comes and goes. Yes. But oh, man. Yes. To, to be a brand, to really, you know, stand out in people's mind and what that, what that means, you know, long term. Um, I will use quite often the example of not that they're doing all that well today, but they're not doing that bad is Campbell's soup, right? The ubiquitous red and white can, right? Yeah. And in terms of package design, that thing has been refreshed slightly. Yeah. But the percentage of red to white on the, has never changed. Right. The, right. right. It, it doesn't change. And it's like, okay, well, they're, you know what it is. As soon as you see it, you don't even need to see the writing. Right. And this guy told me, well, you know, they were 
don't know, they had a bad quarter or something, whatever. And he was saying, well, you know, they're, they're done whatever else I'm going, do you realize that they spill more soup in a factory than you'll make probably in your entire life? I know. You know, it's, you know, it's like, no, it's yeah, they're, 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 they're suffering a little bit. It's very hard to turn the queen Mary around in the, you know, in the port. But the truth of the matter is, is that's a brand and it's, yeah. it's going to be here. Don't worry. You know, try, try I agree. To go to a store today and try to find cream of mushroom soup. Hey, yeah, I, man, Ow. you know, uh, another, another word of advice is to think like you just said, Steve, think so long term that you want to be a classic, iconic brand and company, more so even a company. Um, and if you have a brand to make it stronger, even better. But I cannot tell you how many times those hundred salespeople that have come and gone came to me and said, Ryan, this is good. We love the product, but there's this other white hot product that's selling better than us. And I swear there's been 10 of those that have come and gone out of business. Yeah. Come it's and case, gone out of business. In it. <laughs> you know, it's they, like, yeah, but they got pastel colors. They got neon colors. They got crazy packaging. They got gold X, Y, and Z. They're priced lower than the market. Like all of these things make them white hot for a minute. And then they go away and man, uh, I, I've always just liked the, the, the artists and companies that stay around and are timeless. Porsche, Apple, and, 10 number one albums in a row, Jay-Z, right? Like right. things that are timeless. Right. Exactly. And, and that is, that is great advice. And yes, it is a longer road than most of us think. And if you really want to build a brand, that's what you got to do. Yeah. So I, I really appreciate you taking the time today and, and talking with us. And, uh, you know, I, I do want to invite you back again at some time to talk a little bit more about financing and, and, uh, weird tales, but we'll, we'll get a couple other people to do that along with you and That'd be you a fun round table. can share. Yeah. <laughs> and just, you know, uh, horror story central, but anyway, really appreciate <laughs> Really appreciate Ryan very much. Thank you. And uh, again, guys look for soul tea. It's S O L T I. And uh, you can find it in most of your major better stores across the country as well as online. So anyway, thanks, Ryan. And thanks all of you for joining us here today on the Next Level Brands podcast. Our podcast brought to you today by Kitchen to Shelf, the educational arm of Next Level Brands and providers of online and in-person courses, workshops, and webinars for CPG entrepreneurs at any stage of growth. If you'd like to know about selling your product at retail, about e-commerce or distributors, or even how to price your product properly, you can check out the free webinar archive at kitchentoshelf.com. That's kitchen, the number two, shelf.com. What you need to know to grow. This is Steve Clear, and we will see you all next time. Thanks for listening to the Next Level Brands Podcast with G. Stephen Clear. Learn more at next with two X's, levelbrands.com. While you're there, be sure to sign up for the Next Level Brands email list or subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode.